Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. I'm Marilyn Ackerman, and I have a special guest today, Lance Psycho. I'm actually Lance Psycho's wife, and I could never have taken the last name Psycho because <laughs> just to tell you the truth, I am not edgy enough to carry that name out. <laughs> I thought it was just for business purposes, but sure. I'm a little on the quiet side. I couldn't do it, but... Lance can carry off the name Psycho. And yes, if you're new, it's Psycho as in Psycho Killer. It's it's spelled C-A-Y-K-O, but it's pronounced Psycho. It's edgy. It's very edgy. And that leads us to why <laughs> I'm interviewing Lance today. Um, the reason I'm interviewing him is because I see that Lance embodies so many characteristics of a successful person, and he has a lot of extreme behavior. Mm. And if you, if you don't know what that looks like, I want to give you glimpses of it today because I think I can ask the questions that will have Lance reveal his uh, extreme behavior characteristics that really do help him succeed. Okay, yeah. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, And so if you get something out of this, if you get a great insight into uh, Lance today and what makes him a serial entrepreneur, um, entrepreneur, please leave a comment if you're on YouTube. Please uh, like it if you have a way to do that or leave him a message. Let him know that you got a good insight today. Sounds good. Okay. Um, so included in Lance's accomplishments are that he is co-owner of F9 Productions, a design build firm with Alex Gore, where they have how many employees, would you say? Uh, if you count the construction arm, we are we have 11 employees total, eight oh. in the architecture side of things, which is F9 Productions, everybody knows if they're a listener, is our architecture firm. We started it in 2009 slash 2010. Um, more or less, and we've grown it from just Alex and I up to 10 people at one point and then back down to eight. We sort of uh, cut the fat, so to speak, before they think the, another recession hits here. And then we have three people on our construction arm, which is F14 Productions, a separate company entirely. But combined, like Marilyn said, they do sometimes work hand in hand. Yes. Okay. And he's also a lecturer at CU Boulder in the Department of Engineering, uh, a co-lecturer with Alex Gore also. And he has two podcasts inside the firm with Alex Gore and, of course, this Monday morning coffee. And uh, he personally, he's 39 years old. He's from Trenton, North Dakota. He is married to yours truly. He has two wonderful kids, two wonderful stepkids. They're all teenagers. And he is also an avid fisherman. And he hikes about 30 miles per week. And it's pretty extreme hiking. I mean, high altitude mountain hiking. And uh, if it's winter, it's in the snow too. Don't forget about the nonprofit. And he runs a nonprofit community garden. And boy, he does so much there with um, keeping that garden straight. It has um, a lot of weedy like reminders. 20, Get your weeds. 20 garden plots and 20 gardeners, something like that. 40 and 40. 40 and 40. Yeah. More extreme than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty extreme, right? <laughs> All right. So I want to preface this by quoting from a book about success that when I read this, it just 
it made me feel like I was reading a book about Lance. Okay, this is the book. Uh, it's called Edgy Conversations by Dan Walshmit. Okay. Okay. Um, and so uh, in this book, um, here's, here's how it starts. He says, you don't need another book on success. You don't. You already know almost everything you need to know about achieving success. Set goals, work hard, be persistent, and don't give up until you get what you want. It's all stuff that you could probably repeat in your sleep. Um, the book goes on, they, he says, there are thousands of books about high performance. What is missing is the real world gut-wrenching discussions about the emotional challenges, challenges of success, a focus on attitudes instead of just actions. And we're going to talk about both attitudes and actions with Lance. Uh, it also goes on to say that there, that's a huge void that these success books don't fill um, because your actions will fail until you master the deeply personal aspects of your life that drive those actions. The hard truth is that success isn't a series of actions. It is an attitude. Success isn't about what you do. It's about who you are. So first, let's start out. Lance, um, I want to talk about how you don't make excuses and for who you are and where you are. Now, I, I just I want you to tell the listeners first just about um, where you're from and just uh, what that's like, what that was like, where you're from. Yeah. So I am from uh, northwest North Dakota, which is a very sparsely populated area. Um, growing up, the the town I grew up in, we always estimated it was maybe 500 people, but honestly, it was probably only a few hundred people. Um, to really drill down on how small the community was, is I was probably related to half my class, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I've, my what, Marilyn jokes about this quite often. Like I'll tell her just stories, and she'll be like, "Aren't they related?" Because she's been up there several times. Um, but my graduating class was supposed to be 20. One person dropped, one person flunked out, so it was only 19. Um, it's it's just a very uh, small area. The closest town to us was Williston, North Dakota. That's where the big oil boom happened in 2008, 2009, also in the 80s, but the biggest one was 2008, 2009. And <clears throat> that town exploded from 13,000, and it was dwindling like below 13,000 when I was growing up. And now it's above like maybe 25,000 or something like that. But a very small area. Um, as far as population goes and density and even opportunities. Um, and then money was always an issue. Um, my mom and dad did, did as best as they could. Um, they both work for people. My mom worked for uh, Indian Health Services. So I grew up under socialized medicine, so I understand the dynamic there, the pros, the cons, um, all of that. And then my dad worked for his dad. He just was, he, he's a very loyal person. Marilyn would attest to that. He's just a very, very loyal person, and he just saw taking care of the farm and his dad as much more virtuous than going out there and being this super capitalist now that kind of like I like to think that I am and, and try to be an entrepreneur. But growing up in those, both in that environment, I really feel like since I'm such a contrarian, it pushed me to be the opposite of them. So multiple businesses, right? F9, F14, F12 was a developer. Um, F11 um, is a book that Al wrote. Um, the podcast is kind of its own company. Teaching at CU is its own thing. My nonprofit that I just started and now the fishing channel where I've actually actually ended up making, I make a couple hundred dollars a month um, making videos. 
which is not a lot, but it pays for my gas anyway. Um, <laughs> and maybe a date or two with us. <laughs> so yeah, is that kind of, yeah, that, I think that's a great explanation of where you're, where you're from. I, and I think the main points I wanted, you know, to highlight in that was that, well, you weren't raised by entrepreneurs. Um, and you know, and what were, what were the, the attitudes around, uh, a work. I mean, we heard about being loyal and and um, maybe um, just attitudes about you get a job and you stay there. That's what you do. I mean, what 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 do you, what would, how would you say the, yeah. what would you say the attitudes were about yeah. about work and employment? Definitely that classic uh, American Protestant work ethic was instilled in us. Um, no matter what, you know, if you're gonna do if you're gonna do a job, do it right. Um, you know, and that often means doing it yourself sort of thing. So very DIY oriented, uh, you know, again, growing up between, you know, the farm where my dad worked and then my mom's dad had a cattle ranch. Um, so growing up in between those two places, like it's the West, it truly is like part of the, it's like the East part of the West is why I like to think about it. Right. Because Montana's right next door and we'd vacation there. And so that kind of rugged individualism, was just part of everyday life and you had to get up and, and do it because nobody else is going to do it for you. Mm. Um, and then distance, I, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about distance, but like just being able to go places, like if you wanted to go fishing, it wasn't as simple as, Oh, Hey mom, I'm going down to the park in the middle of Longmont where we live. Something that simple. Right. And I'm just going to do that. It was like, Nope, I'm going to drive my bike down all these weird trails along the ditch banks into the sort of wilderness along the river and then carry the minnows for like two, two miles, you know, to get to a decent fishing hole and that sort of thing. So it was just, you learn to actually kind of like getting exhausted. Um, and, (laughs) and it felt satisfying. Oh, okay. That's great. That's great. Okay. Um, let's talk about, so you're there, you're, you're in a small town. Uh, I mean, if, if it's, you could even call it a town really. It's a village. It's not even incorporated. You're right. Yep. A village. Um, and let's talk about sort of the transition and you, and maybe the first time you reinvented yourself. Reinvented myself. Yeah. Reinventing yourself. Or, or would you even say that? that, I think that's a good explanation. I don't think anybody's ever said that publicly, but I think that's a, that's an interesting way to think about it because I, yeah, I think, uh, so the first time would be, um, I would, so, you know, I tried to, people have, for a long time, listeners have already heard the whole, oh, I tried to work with my dad on the farm for one summer. It didn't, I lasted about two weeks. It, I just didn't get along with my dad that well. And then the mosquitoes and all of that. And I just didn't like the line of work. And so if anybody's thinking like, oh, he, he couldn't handle it. He's just saying he was all about the hard work. Now he can't handle it. It's like, Nope. Then I went and called his best friend who was a contractor and we tore off a roof and put it on in the same day. We did 80 roofs that summer in like blistering hot, humid North Dakota. Um, So the first time that I reinvented myself was based on that, doing that work with that contractor. And that was, I think, when I finally started my own first little business. Um, And that was the true, you know, one where you could look it up in the state records and everything was... It was uh, after my first year in college, um, I came, so I went to North Dakota State, North Dakota College, State College of Science first for a building construction technology degree. And uh, it basically teaches you how to be a carpenter, kind of a general contractor, more or less. Um, and you, you learn, you learn the basics of like plumbing, electrical, mechanical, and stuff like that. Like you, you could, you could run a crew residential wise for sure. Maybe commercially you need a little bit more experience, but 
uh, I came back that summer and um, I just decided to find my own work. And so I put out one little ad in like every town that's small in America, I feel like still has these little magazines or like, it's like tidbits or something. It's called like, that's like a little pamphlet. Mm -hmm. I took out an ad. I think it was like three bucks or something like that. And it was, I just described myself. I was like young, smart, sober, um, handyman (laughs) for hire. Um, you know, and then I was like psycho construction LLC or something like that. Sure enough, I got a call and I got a call from this lady who owned a trailer Um, It was her rental and she just needed some steps made and I just did a really good job and I went I went out there and I built these steps these wooden steps I think it was like back in the day I charged like 250 bucks I think I made like maybe 75 you know and then because she liked my attitude and and all of that um, then she had me redo her art studio in the back of her house and I redid the whole thing. I, you know, I uh, painted it, new trim, built, built some shelves for her, redid this cherry wood floor, which actually turned out really fantastic. Um, and again, she just was like thoroughly impressed. And, and that's when I, it really clicked for me, like the power of and the freedom that you're afforded if you're your own boss and you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur. And it was like, oh my God, sky's the limit. Like all I have to do is convince people. I know I can do the work. All I have to do is convince people to hire me. Mm-hmm. And once I'm hired, then I just execute. Ah, oh, yeah. You had me at sober. <laughs> <laughs> sober painter still a really good idea, everybody out there listening. You'll crush. <laughs> okay. No, that that's, I think that's very insightful. That is definitely um, about who you are and, and. Can and I say about the executing. second time? I mean, yeah, you got me kind of intrigued sure. by the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Finished up trade school, and at the end of trade school, we were building, the, your second year, you build a house, and you do it from, from foundation to, to the last la- nail in the roof, last nail in the floorboards, all that. And uh, there was a set of, they were literal blueprints, too. So um, I know some architects, we don't do blueprints, we do construction docs, whatever. They were actual blueprints, and I was just looking through them, paging through them, and I was like... I would just kind of, it just kind of, I was just fascinated and like, I, I could not understand. I was like, well, why did they design it like this? Like, why did they decide that the bed- bedroom should be 10 feet wide or the door should be this big and like the windows here and all of these sort of things. And then also finally, you know, at the end of that two year stint at North Dakota State College of Science, it was like, oh, I like school. Finally, like I love school. And I actually figured out how to monetize it because like that's just a reoccurring theme in my life apparently is like I got to figure out how to make money off of everything. And and it's not that I'm this big greedy person. Like I think Marilyn would agree like, yeah, we live pretty frugal. Like we're not, we're not out there. I drive a used car. There you go. How about that? Um, yeah. I have the same clothes generally all the time. So uh, I, I found out I love school. I figured out how to monetize it and I applied to North Dakota State uh, or North Dakota State University got accepted into the architecture program the first level and then had to compete to get into to the to the ultimate program where they draw it down from 350 to 50 students but um, that's when I reinvented myself for the second time and all of a sudden it was like all right I'm gonna be an intellectual instead of this blue collar thing like I just thought what if I could wear both hats like why mm-hmm. can't I be why can't I why can't you be why can't you be the type of person that could speak with all of the tradesmen out there, literally 
pick up a hammer and say like, look, here's how you hammer a nail. And then at the same time, go pull out the drawings and be like, oh, by the way, here's how I drew it and specified it. Um, and then just make everybody happy and then yourself happy and more money and more freedom and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it was the right decision because then I did go on this very long intellectual journey. It was easily one of the most fulfilling times in my life by far mm-hmm. that those five years. Cause I just, just, I just fell in love with, with going there mentally and, and doing all those exercises which is all quantitative reasoning when you're doing architecture work. Like it's very quantitative. It's it's bigger than just, you know, your standard math. Like it gets into that extra algebra kind of calculus level sort of trigonometry thinking. Um, so much so that I almost went to MIT. And because MIT ended up recruiting me in my fifth year, which is our master's year, they flew me out there. And one of my professors, thank God, Mark Barnhouse said, I get that you, they're recruiting you and he goes, but, uh, and he goes, I bet you wouldn't even expect me to tell you this, but you need to go practice. He's Hmm. like, you can always go back to grad school. Oh, you need to go practice architecture. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was right. And, uh, I'm glad I didn't go to MIT because I think I'd probably end up, I don't even know if I'd be in Colorado, right? I wouldn't be pursuing now this new kind of passion about, uh, trying to fish for a living and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that was the second time. And then it just keeps happening. Yes. That that that's that's a quite a remarkable one from blue collar to yeah. intellectual. Uh that's first, first person in my family with the bachelor's, first person with the masters, and I don't see mm-hmm. I don't know if the next generation will even go there. We'll see. We will see. And and we'll All right, let, let me ask you a, a, another question. Um so Lance, here's a statement from this book. Um, that makes me think of you, okay? The statement is, you win more when you fight more. Pra- so <laughs> practically speaking, <laughs> getting up earlier means you have more time to conquer the world. Simply getting up one hour earlier every day for 50 years equates to an extra 2,281 extra business days or 6.25 years of conquest. <laughs> so Lance, um, another time in your life I'd like to talk about, which relates to this, is when you were getting your architecture license. Okay, so just tell us the, the, the main things that were going on in your life for those few months. Just, there was a lot going on. Oh man, yeah, that was a, that was a tough time. So that was uh, twenty. Was it twenty fifteen? We weren't building the house, were we? No, no, we because building the house. because I stamped the house. Yeah, so it was like twenty fourteen. It was twenty fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Because we built the tiny house at the same time. Yes, yes, yes. So I had. So here's what was going on: is uh, still had the. I wasn't the garden hadn't turned into my own nonprofit yet. So that was. Uh, but it, you know, having a garden and. Um, both at the house and then in this community garden, I was still leading the garden. So I just want to kind of start the framework there of like, okay, I was still doing that. I was teaching at CU Boulder. Um, My ex didn't even live in uh, Colorado. So I was a hundred percent raising the kids on my own full time. Yeah. What were their, what what do you think their ages were then? Um, In 2014, 2014. they would have been uh, about 10 and And five. five. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, Kai was very small yep. still. 
Yep. Kaya was still, yes, because Kaya was still going to like a private kindergarten because we didn't have um, public kindergarten at in Colorado yet. So, uh, right. And we, we were not married at this point. We were dating. We were dating pretty heavily. So I had to entertain her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, right. So I'll, I'll just remind you. So yeah, you were studying for your architecture and building licensing. the tiny house. Building a ti- building the first and filming. the first tiny house and filming the HGTV television show yeah. that you were featured on you and Alex, um, and uh, and you had your F nine business and I was remodeling clients. my house that you sold me remodeling your house yep yeah gutted it and then remodeled it and yeah. and the two kids so. This was an, ex- I'm just in awe of this, of that time in your life. And that was such an extraordinary amount of things that you were doing. I mean, I, and so let's talk about, uh, I want to talk about extreme discipline is what I'm getting at yeah. with the gain up early and how you accomplished, how, I mean, how did you accomplish all those things during that time in your life. And I, you know, I, and I want to talk about gain up early and what, what, what did you do? What yeah. was your routine well, at that time? To well, one, 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 one thing that everybody that um, people ask me is like, how do you do it all? And I say the first, the first answer I tell them is, as I say, even now, as I say, I schedule everything scheduled, I schedule dates with my wife. Like we schedule everything. So we even scheduled this podcast. Um, so I think for me, it's always started there of like, I've always kept a pretty, tight calendar of events um and i anybody that wants to interact with me like hey like i can be flexible if you give me some time to to plan for it and everything um so with that kind of framework then then the other component that starts that 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 kind of starts the thing off correctly i think is like waking up very early and becoming a morning person and getting in a routine and keeping that routine through discipline and so I would get up um, around 5 a.m. I still do. And every day before the kids got up, before I had to myself start getting ready, before I even touched anything uh, F9-wise, um, from 5 to about 7 would be my study time. And then on the weekends too. Um, because I think there were several times where you wanted me to go do something. I was like, no, I'm studying. And oh, I yes. just flat, yeah. out, flat out turned her down like, no, I'm studying. I have to study. And uh, my goal was to take one test every 30 days. Uh, I've talked about this on the main show on Friday too, if people want to go back and understand what it was really like. Um, but I was studying so hard and taking it so seriously that like eventually I got some like ulcers in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one time we, we used to take the kids to Wahoo's Talk Fish and Tacos because it was, uh, see, here we're, we're living frugally. We used to take them there and we would eat each for like 10, 15 bucks and then the kids would eat for free whatever day that was, Thursday yep. or something. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and then that would be our date and that was it. Um, but yeah. And then the other thing I would do, so besides just waking up early, but I had always kind of done that. And since, uh, I, you know, having kids was a big transformative moment for me. Um, I was, I would wake up early with the kids and, uh, we would, I would just be a morning person. And then even before I started studying though, when I started F9, it was waking up super early and doing more work than everybody else was doing by the time they even started work. And I was just like, I'm just going to outwork everybody. Like, that's all I'm going to do is I'm just going to outwork everybody. There might not be a lot of work, um, but I'm going to be hungrier and um, more persistent and more disciplined than anybody. 
and and then it's paid off. Like it always pays off. I mean, I just don't see. I don't. I've never heard anybody say that. Like, oh, I did that. I did a. I was in a positive routine, a positive disciplined routine, for X amount of time, and it didn't pay off. Like, have you ever heard that in history? <laughs> like, it seems like common sense once you say it out loud and everything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, so that's that's your routine. Uh, getting up very early, and that uh, it got you through that time. And now you're still doing a lot. Tell us, um, I mean, I think a lot of people do this kind of routine Monday through Friday yeah. or Monday through Thursday. I get up at five and, and do all these X, Y, Z, all these things. But um, I want you to tell that your listeners what you do on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Same thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get up early. And uh, so... Um, Everybody also has heard this too, hopefully on the on the show is like, I, I don't really drink much of anything anymore. Um, I will have a glass of wine or two now, maybe on a Saturday night date with Marilyn, um, but that's it. And other than that, like, so th- that has sort of like, uh, for me, it has taken about 10 years. Uh, it, is make, it, it made me feel about 10 years younger again, because I remember being able to get up no problem super early in the morning when I was like 25, you mm-hmm. know, early 30s, that sort of thing. And having that kind of energy and everything. So, uh, so like on the Saturday and Sunday, it's the same thing. Like, obviously, if I'm not like having some wine on the weekend, I'm still pretty much in week mode. So now I'm getting up that early and now I'm like, okay, let's say I get up early on a Saturday. It's like, great. I got up on a Saturday. I'm going to pre-schedule all of the loose ends that I had on Friday that I wasn't able to do because I was cutting the podcast, running around whatever kind of business stuff on, on, on the, at the end of the week. I'm going to pre-schedule all of those emails to go out uh, using like the timed system that there is on Gmail and everything. And I'm going to be ahead of everybody for next week. Like by the time people get up on Monday morning, they're going to be like, holy cow, Lance Psycho has already emailed me at 5 a.m. on Monday. This guy's already ready. And they didn't even know like, oh, he already did that. He was ready to do, he already did that on Saturday. Then on Sunday, it's like, oh, great. I'm up, I'm up that early again. I'm in the case in this in the new sort of scenario it's like oh maybe I've already cut half of the next fishing video and have that kind of queued up and ready or I am writing articles on newsbreak for the firm and hopefully getting inquiries through that but it's just it's just always constantly staying ahead with and doing things that are profit that are going to turn into positive profitable things and just kind of expand my reach as a professional, as a human being, and just putting, put you just put positive stuff out there and it seems like it comes back. Oh, absolutely. And for people listening, I mean, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound balanced, right? Um, you know, it might, it might not sound very balanced, but I wanted to tell you about, uh, you know, what, what I read in this book that reminded me of Lance, again, this edgy, edgy conversations book was that um, it's about balance. Like, so extreme behavior, um, it isn't balanced. So, and this book is saying, stop trying to be a balanced person because balance doesn't work. It's fairy tale unicorn dust sold by life coaches to guilt you into thinking you need to figure out a way to be a little of everything when nothing could be further from the truth because balance actually avoids extremes 
and extremes are where you can find breakthroughs. Yeah. So that this reminded me of you. And um, if you want to be successful, it takes doing more and a lot more. And I wanted, Lance, I wanted you to tell us, well, about an extreme situation in your life and a breakthrough that would have resulted from that extreme situation. The development. Yes, okay. The development was... Uh, the development was one of the hardest things that we've ever, that I've ever done. I know one of the hardest things Al's ever done, but for me specifically working 80 days in a row with only one day at like day 40, where I, I just physically couldn't go, I physically couldn't do it. So I like, that's why I say it was 80 days in a row. Cause I was just sick. And Marilyn knows when I was sick, I just worked myself to the bone. Um, that was the hardest thing ever uh we were on you know financially it got very scary at the end we pulled through but now what it's allowed me to do is if you if i go look at um the assets that i own because of it the amount of advice that people ask me for sort of the clout that alex and i have because we've wore that hat and then the fact that i can bring clients into literally where we're sitting right now in the office and they say, oh, is this your development? And sometimes they say that and sometimes I just tell them um, and show them all of the details and everything like that and what we did. The kind of confidence that it gives them to hire us, it's just, it, it kind of, it's kind of full circle going all the way back to those stairs that I built for that lady. It's like, oh, great. Now it's even easier to convince people to hire us. Perfect. All we got to do is execute. <laughs> like, that's it. That was the hardest part is getting people to hire you, right? Um, so for me... That that was the most that was that was the most extreme professional that was the most extreme thing I've ever done in my professional life, for sure. The most extreme thing I've ever done in my personal life was raising the two kids for for those three four years by myself, and mm-hmm. being completely broke. Uh, but it just, God, I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. Like life was simple. It was mm. simple because uh, it was simple because you didn't have all these options and things to do. And so it was kind of provided like this framework of like, now I'm going to find the free stuff to do mm. and it's going to make me concentrate on the important things of life. Hey, let's make cookies together. Uh, hey, let's go to the garden together, kids. Uh, you guys can pretend that the wheelbarrows are like things you can drive, you know, stuff like that. Uh, going to the farmer's market and picking out fresh produce, you know when we could afford it just going to the just making popcorn and going to get a dvd when you when we used to have dvds from Redbox and having a movie night with the kids like that was uh and it just made me so much more tolerant to stress and um handling trying to handle so many things that mm. uh it's just not it's i don't get really burnt out on tackling all of these businesses and nonprofits and teaching and all the other stuff. Oh yeah. The, um, the juggling all the balls The yeah. And, and juggling the parenting balls really, um, makes it, uh, uh, so you are just completely surrendering to, I think it prepared, I think it prepared me for employees. Mm, uh I'm not saying the employees are children by any means, but it just helps you, uh, child children press your buttons. So not only I think it helped me for employees, but it helped me for clients. It helped me for like sub consultants and consultants and just people, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Like people are going to push your buttons even if they don't mean to. They're going to push you to a stress point and it's like, 
well, I got to stay calm. Like what is, what is getting all angry and upset going to be, you know, about, about something like that? Yeah. And I know. And, and just so people know, when you're talking about raising your kids, that was when they were about two and seven to about six and 11. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Well, not the easiest because they say no. that like at seven is when they become, <laughs> they say when your kids turn seven, the youngest turn seven, that's when you mostly get divorces because then they're on autopilot mm-hmm. or they're mostly on autopilot. And then, yeah. then all of a sudden you turn back to your spouse and you're like, oh, I forgot about you. Oh, I forgot about you. And then the fighting starts or whatever. Yeah. But no, you had a two-year-old, you were like um, having to get get her dressed. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. just, just like that's not autopilot yeah. at all. And again, this yeah. is not a poor me story. I'm yeah. just telling yeah. you like, this, so I'm really thankful for those two struggles, uh, 100%. I, I, I post on Facebook at least once a year, like some kind of memory will pop up or whatever with my kids. And uh, it'll be, oh, how about this? So what I used to do for them is um, there used to be like, like I used to play leprechaun. So like uh, when um, St. Patrick's Day would come around, I would I would go to the dollar store and like make like a fake pot of gold and like, put the um get like finger paint and like make make a little leprechaun prints all around and like they'd wake up and like the leprechaun came so like little tiny stuff like that so anyway i'll post like that memory once while on facebook and be like this is the happiest time of my life like i'm not unhappy right now i'm just saying i like to recognize how broke and how big of a struggle it was but at the same time the happiness level was still way up there just Mm -hmm. so it reminds me to like stay grounded and not get over my skis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about, um, there's a chapter in this book, edgy conversations that another one that reminds me of you and it's titled extreme differentiation. So a quote is it's your obsessive compulsions, your passions, the things that set you apart that produce breakthroughs, not your talent to fit in. And so I want to talk about your obsession, obsessive compulsion that sets you apart. What, what would, do you think it might be? Um, yeah. Tell us what you think it might be. Well, I think it changes and I think you've seen that and that's okay. I hope it's okay. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's the obsession of, uh, starting F9. Well, I, you needed, I always tell people this is like, if you're going to start a company or hire an employee, this it's a service-based company like ours, then I think you need to have like a, some sort of a, a rule of thumb in place. And that is like, I either need a steady flow of work and it could be like you're drafting for another architect or some big corporation. You're doing Taco John's after Taco John's after Taco John's or something like that. Or you have three new houses and you can just start that way, right? <clears throat> My obsession when we started with F9 was... Again, I'm going to get up when I was working for this other firm in Boulder uh, before when I first moved here, before we started F9, I would get up at five and I said, I'm going to outwork everybody. And I am going to, uh, I see that there is uh, not, there's not a big um, supply of these like furniture models that, that you could, that were built in Revit. It's a CAD, um, it's a CAD software and there's like architects need these because we need to do renderings with them. Well, there was none of those out there. So I would get up at five and I would make furniture families and I would put them up on TurboSquid.com. I did that so consistently and so prolifically. Um, I wasn't making a ton of money off of it, 
but I got noticed. I got noticed by one of like the senior manager at Turbo Squid or something like that. And then that's what led to all of the CAD content and BIM content that we built on ArcCat. Um, and then that laid the groundwork for starting F9. So that was like an obsession. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. And it, and that's what led to starting F9. Mm. Um, another good example would be like, oh, I was really into politics. Uh, twenty In 2016, right? It was Hillary versus Trump. And I was very, very skeptical of Trump. I think obviously a, a lot of people were and still are. But he, um, I was so skeptical because I knew about the bankruptcies and not paying subs and all that other stuff. I was just like, what's this guy going to do? Get in there and pretend like he's a, a fiscal conservative and he's just going to blow the budget. And I was like, and everybody hated Hillary. That's a, just a, like most people hated Hillary. Just a, come on. So they were both these very polarizing figures, and it was like, oh, there's this opening for the Libertarian Party, and I went and saw Gary Johnson in Boulder. Um, he went, and he taught at CU Boulder, and I was like, you know what? I'm 33, or however I was, it was a younger 30s. I was like, I'm making okay money. I think I have some extra time. I'm gonna get involved. Like now, it's my time to get involved. Like I'm an adult. I have an opinion. <laughs> I own a business. All this other stuff. And then I got completely obsessed with it. And eventually ended up with like a couple million followers in my pocket because I was uh, one of the lead admins over at Being Libertarian, um, who has almost a million followers on Facebook. And then um, it ultimately led to like me making money uh, by making memes for like a candidate. His name was Roger Barris and stuff like that. So like that was another one. And then and then it ultimately led to no political victories, (laughs) (laughs) but a bunch of friends. And Marilyn has met many of them. Um, they're very down-to-earth, good people. Um, and then I, I finally had, like, my, my local consortium of friends in Longmont and beyond, like, in Colorado. And it kind of completed that part of my life for me. But it all happened just because I became obsessed with, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make the best memes out there and get, like, these crazy reactions, you know? And sometimes I'd tell, I'd Marilyn be like... Like, hey, would you make any? Did you make any good memes? Just talk, just making casual conversation. No, no. I'd be like, oh yeah, that one reached like ten million people. Yes, the numbers. It was really staggering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so this leads me to another question. Um, and well, this is a, a, a quote from this book too about one way to push your limits is to stop worrying about what people think of oh, you. God. Yeah. Um, so I will tell you, Lance does not worry about what people think of him. <laughs> I don't even have to say it. <laughs> um, so um, I just wondered, you know, give us an example in some aspect of your life um, about someone, you know, when, when someone or some group just, they, they don't like you and, and how this affects things and, and what you've, you know, what has happened because of this. The best, I really love the Michael Jordan story where he was, uh, if everybody remembers, I think he was a junior and he didn't make the team or a sophomore he didn't make the team, he didn't make varsity. And then he worked his, and he had a chip on his shoulder. He had a big chip on his shoulder. So then that whole summer he played basketball like crazy and then he made his senior team or whatever. And now then everybody knows who freaking Michael Jordan is, right? So uh, that always resonated with me as a kid. And so, um, one of uh, my high school sweetheart, neighbor's Kristen, uh, she had a f- a family friend. That her mom was was friends with um, a sort of a distant cousin of mine, um, her mom. And her mom once told her mom that 
Lance Zyka was nothing but trouble. He is nothing but trouble. That boy isn't going anywhere. And I will never forget her saying that. And I had a giant chip on my shoulder because of that. For I still do. I still do. And because I'm like, look at me now. Like, you can say all of those things, but how poor was you reading the cover of that book and what was inside of that book? And mm. like, you go look at the back at the class, and now I'm going to just brag, is like, you go back and look at the high school, little tiny high school class that I graduated from, like, there isn't anybody that sort of touches what me and Al do every day, um, you know, as far as just the recognition, the success, um, all, all of that kind of stuff. So uh, that that's who I point to a okay. lot. <laughs> so thanks, Barb. <laughs> thanks, Barb. Um, okay. So um, I do kind of think, I do kind of care what people think about me, but it doesn't make me sad. Uh, yeah. It makes me mad. And then, yeah. and then I always turn that anger. But again, it's relating back to Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Michael Jordan did. You, all of these people who have these, who are, feel slighted. Elon Musk. Elon Musk was never, it was Ford got invited to the White House. GM got invited to the White House for the electric vehicle stuff. Elon Musk, no. And now look what Elon Musk is doing. Now he's taking over Twitter. Now he just tweeted about two hours ago, we're recording this on, what is it, May something, May 19th, I think, um, 15th, 16th, 2022. He just tweeted, uh, I'm never, I'm, I'm, I used to vote Democrat, now I'm voting Republican. Like, you piss off the wrong people and they turn that, that anger into like, I'm going to, I'm going to conquer, mm-hmm. you know? That's the way that I think, if you can turn it into, conquering positive energy because i think he's doing Mm -hmm. positive things i'm not saying republicans are the end all or anything i'm just saying look look what happened now you have the one of the smartest men on earth literally taking down like basically the corporate press and exposing twitter for the fraud it is and all of these things yeah that's what you got. yes okay oh i like that answer okay um and tell us about let's talk about differentiation um, and how maybe another way, because I know there's a lot of ways that your company is different than others out there for the architecture, um, and the design build. So let's talk about just one way how about, about how not only not being afraid of people don't like you, but not being afraid to be different and, and how that can work for you. Yeah. Uh, a couple different instances. So when Al first moved here, um, a wholesome little Al, wholesome little Al who uh, used to, who when he was a freshman in college, wouldn't go out and party because he was reading the Bible in his dorm. Oh, I don't even think you knew that. I, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, why? Why I'm setting this up is because then, then wholesome Al, Minnesota, nice Minnesota, nice, moved down to Colorado to join his best friend Lance to start uh, F9. And one of the first commissions he got was a pot shop. Oh, okay. <laughs> in Boulder. Um, so we were not, we've, we've always been not afraid to do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, go after the kind of projects and clients that people won't take on and that are, that are a little edgy, that are different. Um, that maybe even, um, there's, you know, there's like, there's, we, when, especially when we first started out, we realized that like, there's a huge opening in the market down here in Colorado for designing stuff for people who are like low to middle class. 
mm-hmm. you know, like they can't afford these boulder arch, these uh, high and pretentious boulder architects with the thick black rim glasses and all of that stuff. But there's a huge segment of society that still needs design work, that deserves design work, that deserves like the dignity that it can bring to a house. Like even if what what if it's like, oh, they need an ADA ramp. The mom's on disability. The the son is working like two jobs to keep everything going and take care of his mom. But a uh, Boulder architect won't hire them or w- w- won't work for them. Mm-hmm. Well, th- they still need drawings for the city and all of that. We'll do it. Like, we'll do it. We'll, we'll, we'll serve that niche. And so it was like, okay, we're setting ourselves up for that sort of a challenge of how do we serve a wider audience than most architects will. And it was like, well, we got to kind of go all the way back to the to the where like we make the bread so to speak or make the cake dig back into the software that we use to design everything and we need to make it so that we have a template to work from go to revitrocketship.com check it out (laughs) and uh make it so that we are basically like super efficient we can beat other people in terms of how long it takes us to draft just because of the way the template is set up Mm. um and then the tiny house Right, we took out a forty thousand dollar loan to build that thing, uh, with no idea if we we're going to be able to rent it, no idea if we we're going to be able to sell it. We knew we just needed, we needed to do it. The universe was pushing us in that way, because um, we started, you know, we started that Blake's tiny house for the website. We got all these hits and like TV producer after TV producer, and then Al landed us on that TV show, and we just jumped and went for it. And then it landed us. We got an international architecture award. Uh, we were got. Uh, you could say we paid $40,000 to be on TV every two weeks for two years because that's what it amounted to because um, that's how often the episode would air. And then, oh, yeah. And then that yeah. landed us uh, Subaru, the Subaru Tiny Houses, which then made it so we had enough, which again is another extreme project because it was just nonstop working. Very, very difficult to build those things. Marilyn knows. we were That was after we built our house. So she, she, she knows when I would come home and all that, exhausted from Louisville. But then that led to the development. And then because we were able to buy land and Marilyn was part of that transaction. So she knows. And then, and then, then it led to the extreme development of building that and working crazy. Yeah. So that, and that, that tiny house was very different. There was nothing like that tiny house, um, that existed. That wasn't, I don't even think that there was an upscale tiny house. Existing. There was no luxury or, division of it yet. Yeah. Okay. So that yeah, that was that was yeah. very different. Yeah. Um, okay. Another, and and it was, can yeah. I just say something? Oh yeah. One thing that she's told me multiple times too is she's like, it's <laughs> like everything's got to be different, huh? It's <laughs> <laughs> like why does everything got to be different? I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> because <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> no. It would be life as an adventure with Lance. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> so okay another thing <laughs> in this book. except he wears black all day every day so he looks really good in navy i just don't then, understand how he doesn't see and this. then every once in a while i'll wear like a colored shirt oh you yeah be like huh once in a while <laughs> okay okay sure you do <laughs> okay um so another part of this book that reminded me of you was when he says um it's about no sick days the day this this day is not even in your head every day matters the challenge is to do what is hard and noble and right when you are sick and tired when you don't feel like doing anything at all uh so i will attest that lance does not have sick days 
Um, it was so what we've been together um, nine years. He doesn't have sick days. He has sick hours. <laughs> uh, that might be the most. And those are rare. And I just mean a few hours. Um, and that's really rare. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to bring that to yeah. your viewers' attention because it's a very um, extreme thought and um, and behavior too. What, anything you want to say about that? Um, though, exactly. So, like, f- just to reemphasize, the one day I didn't work in the eighty day stretch in doing the <laughs> development, that was. I just couldn't work. I mean, it it really did. It was so like the, that level of sickness was pretty extraordinary for me because bef- before that one sick day and after that sick day, I was still sick, but I was still working. And the one thing that kept me going was that was when Kanye West came out with his album, um, Ye. And uh, it was like a gospel album. And I would just literally listen to it religiously. And I would just talk to God and I would just ask for strength. And that's what kept me going. And that's how I was able to, if Bill McCarthy's listening to this, <laughs> Bill, that's how I was able to install the kitchens, all the cabinets by myself. And then, so now when you ask me, hey, how the hell did you install the whole kitchen, not eight of them, by yourself, one person? And I go, oh, there you go. A little divine intervention. Oh, yeah. The kitchen, <laughs> kitchens are on the second floor, too. There's a <laughs> lot of stairs. Yeah. yeah so it is, it is, it's just remarkable that, that you don't, have sick days. And I just wanted to say that. Um, so Lance, uh, knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time, uh, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself when starting F9? I would, I would just reassure myself that everything's going to be okay. And that it's okay that you're working this hard and don't feel guilty because you will, you will have time Time will open up a little bit more for you and don't feel like you're cheating your kids out of time or anything like that. Know that like you're going to hit points later on where, and there's going to be points in your life where you're like, guess what? I'm taking every Wednesday off this summer. I'm going to go hiking in the mountains with my wife to catch some trout and then we're going to come home and go to bed. And like it's, so it's okay. It's okay to work that hard and keep the discipline. It's all going to pay off. And, uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Hmm. Oh, good words. Okay. Um, and so I hope that, uh, I hope if, if everyone's gotten something out of this, they will, you know, more of an insight into Lance Psycho, an insight maybe into yourself. Let, let him know what it is. Um, because I, I want to share with you that Lance loves hearing from his uh, viewers and listeners. And I know it makes him really happy and fulfilled. Uh, so Lance, uh, uh, how can people find you? They can just go. You know what? You could. I need more followers on Twitter. So it's just my handle is at Lance Psycho. I've actually been tweeting a little bit. I don't. I just reply to people. Uh, the other day, I got Peter Schiff to reply to me. I don't even think I told you that. No. It's pretty hilarious. Peter Schiff, uh, super famous economist. Uh, he's got like seven hundred thousand followers. Anyway, I've gotten like Joe Rogan to reply to me. Bill Burr. LinkedIn is a good one too. You can you can connect with me there. Just don't spam me with your insurance. You know mm-hmm. you want to sell me insurance. You want to you want to meet us Bork for you or whatever the spam is on 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 LinkedIn lately. And then you can always email me at lmc at f nine productions dot com. And if you really search hard enough, you could probably find my cell phone on the internet. Thanks so much, Lance. Thank you.